بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما إن شاء الله today we will start where we left off last week and that was towards the end of the period of the life of the Prophet ﷺ before he received the revelation. And we know that he received his first revelation at the age of 40. And the rebuilding of the Kaaba by the Quraysh, which we talked about last week, that happened about the time that the Prophet ﷺ was 35 years old. So between the age of 35 and 40, those last five years before he started receiving revelation of the Qur'an. During those five years, the Prophet ﷺ started to love to be alone. He started to love to be in isolation without people around him so that he could focus in his worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he could spend his time devoted solely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any distractions of the world around him. So he started to love being alone. And to truly be alone, he would actually leave the main city of Mecca, the comfort of his home and his family. He would leave and go to the cave of Hira, which is one of the mountains around Mecca. The cave of Hira is situated on the top of one of the mountains of Mecca. And that Mecca now is that mountain now is called Jabalun Nur, the mountain of light. And it was called it was named Jabalun Nur because that is where the revelation came down. But it was a mountain in Mecca and on the top of that mountain there was this small cave. So the Prophet ﷺ would go in isolation in that cave and devote himself to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the mountain, it's not very far from the main city of Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ would go into that cave and he would stay there for a few days at a time. Then he would go back to Mecca, to his home, to check up on his wife and his family, to make sure that they are okay. And then he would collect food and whatever supplies he needed and then he would go back to the cave again. So he would do this every few days. He would go to the cave for two or three days. Then he would come back, check on his family, take more supplies and go back to the cave again. So this was the way that he practiced. So he made sure that he was still taking care of his familial responsibilities. But he would spend as much time as possible alone in isolation to focus on his worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So during those last five years of his life before receiving the message, some incidents started to occur in his life that were precursors to the fact that he was going to receive revelation. One of these things is that during this period of his life from the age of 35 up to 40, Whatever he would see in his dreams, it would come true. He would have a dream and then immediately the next day, he would see that dream come true 
100%, very clearly. Not just in an abstract kind of way, but he would see the dream and it would happen exactly as he saw it. So this was one of the precursors to his messengership. And this started happening a lot during those last few years before he received the first revelation. Another thing that happened during these last few years before he received the revelation was that when he would go to the cave, when he would be on his way to the cave of Hira from Mecca, and when he was on his way back from the cave of Hira, back to Mecca. During the walks that he would take back and forth from the cave, he would hear voices saying, Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. But he didn't know where these voices were coming from, but he would hear it. Later on, after he received the message and after he knew Jibreel, Later on, he spoke to Jibreel and he said, Before I received the first message, when I used to go, when I used to walk, I used to hear these voices saying, Assalamu alaikum, ya Rasulullah. Who were those voices, ya Jibreel? And Jibreel told him that those were the trees and the stones, the trees and the stones giving salam to you. So even these inanimate objects like rocks and trees, they would honor the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam by greeting him with the greeting of peace. Assalamu Alaikum Ya Rasulullah. So this was happening to him before he received the first revelation. So in the year that the revelation finally came, that was the year where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he turned 40 years old. He was 40 years of age and he dedicated one complete month to stay in the cave. That year, he dedicated a complete month that he would stay in isolation in that cave to focus on his worship and devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that happened to be the month of Ramadan. That was the month of Ramadan that the Prophet sallallahu chose to isolate himself in the cave of Al-Hira. And this is when the revelation of the Qur'an started. It was one of the last ten nights of Ramadan. And it was an odd-numbered night of one of those last ten nights. When the Prophet ﷺ was busy in his worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Jibreel ﷺ finally came to him. And Jibreel came to him at that time in the form of a man. He didn't come in his actual form as an angel. He came in the form of a handsome man. In the form of a man wearing white clothes. And he had a piece of cloth, a type of silk cloth. And on that cloth there was a book. So Jibreel suddenly appeared in the cave with the Prophet And the Prophet of course was surprised at this. It took him by surprise. He wasn't expecting this. So Jibreel came to him with that piece of silk cloth with the book on it and he said to him, Iqra, Iqra, read. 
and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he was not able to read or write, and this was one of the characteristics that Allah subhanahu wa taala gave the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as a blessing for him, that he was not able to read and that he was not able to write. And why do we say that this is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa taala upon him? Because it proves. And there are many other proofs besides this, but it is one of the proofs that he did not come up with the Qur'an on his own. Someone who can't even read and someone who cannot write, how can he come up with something like the Qur'an? Even if he could read and write, no one can come up with something like the Qur'an. But the fact that he couldn't read and he couldn't write, that makes it even more miraculous and more amazing. So the, Pro the Prophet ﷺ was blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by not being able to read and not being able to write. And he was never able to read and write until he died. He died in this way. Never learned to read and write. So this is a strong proof against those who claimed that he made this speech up, that he made up the Qur'an, وَالْعِيَاذُ billah. This is a strong proof against them, the fact that he didn't even know how to read or write. So when Jibreel presented him with that book and he said, Iqra, read. The response of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was Ma ana biqari. I am not able to read. I don't read. So then Jibreel alayhi salam came up to him and he squeezed him. He squeezed him very, very, very tightly. And then he let him go. And then again Jibreel alayhi salam said to him, Iqra. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam again replied with the same response, Ma ana biqari. I'm not able to read. And then for the second time, Jibreel alayhi salam came up to him and squeezed him very, very tightly. And he let him go. And then for the third time, Jibreel alayhi salam said to him, Iqra. And for the third time, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam answered with the same response again, Ma ana biqari. I'm not able to read. I don't know how to read. And then Jibreel السلام, for the third time squeezed him again very, very, very tightly. And he let him go. So then Muhammad وسلم, realized that, okay, this answer is not getting me anywhere. He wants something else. So for the fourth time when Jibreel السلام, said, Iqra, Rasulullah answered to him, أقرأ, What do you want me to read? Instead of saying, I'm not able to read, he said, what do you want me to read? And then Jibreel alayhi salam answered to him and he said, with the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم So this was the first revelation of the Qur'an. The first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq. That was the first revelation that came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam during the month of Ramadan on Laylatul Qadr, one of the last ten nights of Ramadan, one of the odd-numbered nights of the last ten nights of Ramadan. That is when this incident happened. So after that, Jibreel alayhi salam, he disappeared. But these ayat 
these first five ayat, these first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq, they were etched into the heart of the Prophet So he remembered that. But he was scared. He was like, what just happened here? He didn't understand what was happening. And he left the cave to go back to his home, to go back to Mecca because he was scared. He didn't know what was going on. Now his wife Khadija radiallahu anha, she got this type of feeling. She didn't know what was happening. She didn't witness this or anything, but she got a feeling in her heart that there is something that is worrisome. So she sent two of her servants to go to the cave of Hira to see, to make sure that her husband Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is okay. Because she just had this feeling. A feeling came to her that something happened. So she sent these servants of hers to go and check on her husband, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But by that time, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam had already left the cave and he was on his way back home. So when those two servants, when they went to the cave, they didn't find him there. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was on his way back to Mecca was on his way back to his house. But while he was on his way back to his house, another amazing incident happened. He heard a voice from the sky. And this voice said, Ya Muhammad, Anta Rasulullah. Ya Muhammad, Anta Rasulullah. Wa ana Jibreel. O Muhammad, you are the messenger of Allah and I am Jibreel. And he looked up into the sky and he saw the angel Jibreel السلام, in his actual form, in his actual form as an angel. And this was one of only two times that the Prophet وسلم, saw Jibreel السلام, in his actual form. This was one time and the other time was on the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. And inshallah, in the future we will get to that story as well. So he looked up into the sky and he saw Jibreel السلام, the head of the angels. And it was such an amazing sight. Jibreel السلام, filled the whole sky. He was so big that he filled the whole sky. And he has 600 wings. 600 wings. And from those wings, there are rubies and pearls and jewels coming down, dropping from those wings. This is the greatness of Jibreel alayhi salam. This is the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him. So the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam looked into the sky and he saw Jibreel. Imagine this sight that he sees, the whole sky filled with this huge creation. Jibreel alayhi salam, 600 wings with rubies and pearls dropping from those wings. And he was being addressed, Ya Muhammad, Anta Rasulullah wa Ana Jibreel. O Muhammad, you are the messenger of Allah and I am Jibreel. So when Muhammad saw this, he froze, he couldn't move. Because this is not something that you see every day. This was an amazing sight that he saw and just by seeing it, he froze and he couldn't move. And by that time, the two servants of Khadija radiallahu anha, they went back to 
her house and they told her that we couldn't find him. We went to the cave and we didn't find him. So she got worried now. She got worried, what happened to him? That's where he was, where is he now? But then after some time, after he witnessed Jibreel in the sky and he was frozen in place for some time, but then he calmed down somewhat. He was still shaken up by the events that happened in the cave and on his way. He was able to get back to his house. And he entered his house and Khadija radiallahu anha saw him. And she was comforted to see that he was okay, that he was safe. But he was shaking. When he got back into the house, he was shaking. And he said to Khadija radiallahu anha, Dathiruni, dathiruni, cover me, cover me. He was shaking, so he wanted a blanket to cover himself up. So Khadija radiallahu anha got a blanket for him and covered him up. And then he told her exactly what had happened. He told her about the incident in the cave of Al-Hira. And he told her about what happened on his way back to the house as well. And he was shaking. And he feared that what is happening to me? What is this about? What is the meaning of this? So Khadija radiallahu anha said to him, an yakuna Are you afraid that something bad is happening to you? Like a jinn or possession or something like that? Are you afraid of that? And then she said to him, Kalla, never. This can never happen to you. You can never be possessed by a devil or a jinn. No harm will come to you. It will never happen to you. Why? She said, Wallahi, la yukhzikallahu abada. She said, I swear by Allah that Allah would never humiliate you. Allah will never allow any type of disgrace to come to you. And then she explained the reasons why. She said, Innaka latasilur rahim. Because you maintain the ties of kinship. You keep good relations with your relatives. وَتَصْدُقُ hadith, And you are honest in your speech. You only speak the truth. وَتَحْمِلُ And you carry the burdens of those people who are facing difficulties. You carry their burdens for them. وَتَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُومِ وَتَقْرِ الضَّيْفِ وَتُعِينُ عَلَى نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ She mentioned so many good qualities of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You help those people who are in need. You are good to the guests. You host them in an honorable way. And anyone who is afflicted with any type of difficulty, you are there for them. You help them. So basically, she gave a short summary of the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, An honest person who helps others, who speaks only the truth, who is good to the guests, who carries the burdens of others, who maintains the, the ties of kinship. She basically gave a summary of the great character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now this incident, this conversation between Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his wife Khadija radiallahu anha again it shows the greatness of Khadija radiallahu anha she saw that her husband was scared he was shaking he was worried 
And she was a firm voice that comforted him and consoled him. Sometimes if a husband gets worried or stressed out about something and he tells it to his wife, then she actually adds to his stress, right? She gets more worried and she overanalyzes the situation even more than he was. And then both of them are worried and they just add to each other's stress. But this was not the way of Khadija radiallahu anha. She saw that her husband was afraid and he was worried about something. And she spoke words to console him and to comfort him and to make him feel good. This is the way of a good wife. Khadija radiallahu anha was a perfect example of how a wife should deal with these types of situations. And she did it perfectly. And she didn't stop there. She said, come, we will go to my cousin Waraqah ibn Nawfal. This was the cousin of Khadija radiallahu anha. Waraqah ibn Nawfal who had become a Christian. And most of the Quraysh, you know that they were idol worshippers. But Waraqah ibn Nawfal, he was a Christian. He had accepted Christianity. And the story of Waraqah ibn Nawfal, again, is another amazing story. How did he become a Christian? There were three men from the Quraysh. And this was a long time before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam received revelation. Many years before. When Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam received revelation and Khadija radiallahu anha took him to her cousin Waraqah ibn Nawfal. At that time Waraqah had become an old man. But years ago when he was still a young man an interesting event happened with him and two of his friends, two of his companions. Waraqah ibn Nawfal and Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail and Uthman ibn Al-Harith. These three young men, at that time they were young men, young men from the Quraysh, they thought to themselves that, you know, the religion of our people, this idol-worshipping religion, this religion of the Quraysh, this religion, it just doesn't make sense. People worshipping idols and stones that can bring no harm and no benefit, this religion just doesn't make sense. So these three people, Waraqah ibn Nawfal, Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail, and Uthman ibn al-Harith, they made a pact with each other that we reject this religion of the Quraysh, and we will search for what the true religion really is. So they decided to travel, to seek knowledge from the people of knowledge, to find out what is the true purpose of life and what the true religion is. As for Waraqah ibn Nawfal and Uthman ibn al-Harith, they traveled and they found some Christian monks and they learned about the religion of Christianity, that there is only one God worthy of worship. And Christianity at that time, there were many different types of Christianity, sects of Christianity. And there were sects of Christianity that worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and they believed in Isa alayhi salam as a messenger and they did not believe him to be Allah or the son of Allah. There were sects of Christianity that were monotheistic as well. So Waraqah and Uthman, they found some Christian monks and they studied under them and they became Christians. 
As for Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, that wasn't enough for him. He said, no, I don't want to get the knowledge just from any monk or any person like this. I want to know who is the most knowledgeable person on earth. I want to know who the most knowledgeable person is and I will seek knowledge from him. So he asked around, who is the most knowledgeable person? Who is the most knowledgeable person? And he was guided to a Jewish rabbi. So he went to that Jewish rabbi and he said, he asked him, what is the true religion? What is the religion that I should follow? And then this Jewish rabbi, of course he was a Jew, so he said, Judaism, you should become a Jew. And then he said, okay, how do I become a Jew? He said, to become a Jew, you have to put yourself under the anger of Allah. You have to put yourself in a situation where Allah will become angry with you and then you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Zayd said, this, this doesn't make sense. I'm looking for the true religion. I don't want Allah to be angry with me. I want Allah to be pleased with me. But then he said, no, this is the way of Judaism. You have to come under the anger of Allah and then ask Allah for his forgiveness. Then he said, no, 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 no. This is not what I want. Is there any other religion that is true that I can follow? That I won't have to go under the anger of Allah? He said, really, there's nothing that I know of except the Ad-Deen Al-Hanif, the religion that is called Ad-Deen Al-Hanif, the pure monotheistic religion. And Zayd had never heard this term before, Ad-Deen Al-Hanif, the pure monotheistic religion. He said, what is Ad-Deen Al-Hanif? He said, it is the religion of Ibrahim. It is the religion of Ibrahim. And all we know about that religion now is that Ibrahim السلام, he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. But as for his ibadah, the way that he made salah, you know, the sharia of his religion, the rules and regulations of his religion, we don't know anything about it. All we know about the religion of Ibrahim is that he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So the Jewish rabbi said, there is this religion, but we don't have any details about it except that Ibrahim السلام, he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So he said, okay. And he asked the rabbi, is there anyone else who is knowledgeable like you that I can seek knowledge from, that I can seek guidance from? And he said, you know, I know one guy, one other guy, and he is a Christian and he has a lot of knowledge. You can go to him and see what he says. He said, okay. So he went to this man that the Jewish rabbi had advised him to go to. And this man was a Christian monk. And he asked him, what is the true path? What is the true religion that I should follow? So the Christian monk told Zaid, he said, it is Christianity. And then he said, okay, how do I become a Christian? And he said to him, you have to admit that you are dal, that you are a person of misguidance, that you are a person who is astray. And then you have to accept Isa alayhi salam. And then you will be put on the straight path. So you have to admit that you are astray and then you have to accept Jesus. And then he said, no, I don't want to admit that I am astray. I am seeking the right path. I am on the right path, seeking the true religion. So I don't want to say that I am a person of misguidance or that I am a person who is astray. And then he said, well, this is the only way for you to be a Christian. You have to accept that you are a misguided person and then you have to accept Jesus. He said, is there any other religion where I don't have to do this? 
that is a true religion and then the Christian monk said the same thing as the Jewish rabbi he said there is the religion of Ibrahim al-Dinul Hanif the pure monotheistic religion we don't know anything about the practices of that religion but Ibrahim alayhi salam he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone so there is that so he said okay then that's it I'm not going to become a Jew I'm not going to become a Christian but I am going to to the best of my ability be on the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam so he went back to Mecca and he proclaimed himself as a follower of the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And he used to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He used to pray, he used to make sujood and ruku' and to the best of his ability. And he would say, Ya Allah, I believe in the religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam. I worship you alone. I don't know the way to pray, but I'm doing the best that I can. So please accept it from me. So he tried to follow the religion of Ibrahim السلام, to the best of his ability and he started advising the people of Quraysh to do so as well. This is before the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, received revelation. So Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail, he's going to the Quraysh and telling them, why do you worship these stupid idols who can't do any benefit or any harm for you? And the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, mentions in a hadith, he said, I saw Zayd ibn Amr with his back being supported by the Kaaba. So he was sitting at the Kaaba with his back supported at the Kaaba while the Quraysh were making tawaf and they were doing talbiyah, labbaik. And we mentioned before in a previous lesson that the idol worshippers of, of the Arabs, they changed the true, the true talbiyah. The true way to say labbaik is the way we say it now as Muslims, alhamdulillah. Labbaik Allahumma labbaik. Labbaik la sharika laka labbaik. Inna alhamda wa ni'mata laka wal mulk la sharika lak. And this was the talbiyah of Ibrahim alayhi salam. But when Amr ibn Luhay brought idol worship back into the Arabian Peninsula, he also changed this talbiyah. He changed it and he said, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ لَبَّيْكَ إِنَّ الْحَمْدَ وَالنِّعْمَةَ لَكَ وَالْمُلْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ إِلَّا شَرِيكًا هُوَ لَكَ تَمْلِكُهُ وَمَا مَلَكَ So Amr ibn Luhay, many, many, many years previously, when he brought idol worshipper, idol worshipping back into the Arabian Peninsula, he changed the talbiyah in this way too. So at the end, when we say لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ We're saying, Ya Allah, you have no partner. That's where it stops. But Amr ibn Luhay, and then the idol worshippers after him, following his example, they added to this phrase, La sharika lak, there is no, you have no partner, Ya Allah, illa sharikan huwa lak, except a partner, tamlikuhu wa ma malak. Except your partners that you own, and you own what they own. So they believed in Allah, but they also believed in the idols as partners of Allah as well. So these kuffar of the Quraysh, they were doing this talbiyah with the added phrases of shirk. And Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is saying, I saw Zayd ibn Amr sitting with his back leaning against the Kaaba. And the Quraysh, when they were saying labbaik, when they said labbaik Allahumma labbaik, labbaik la sharika laka labbaik, inna alhamda wa ni'mata laka wal mulk, la sharika lak. And then Zayd ibn Amr was saying, qat, qat, stop, that's it, stop right there. Don't add the extra phrase. Don't add, illa sharikan huwa lak tamlikuhu wa ma malak. He was saying, stop, that's it. And Prophet Muhammad before he received the revelation, he witnessed this. And he said, I saw this happen with Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufail. So this was 
the true monotheism that did come in the hearts of some of the people. And the Prophet ﷺ said about Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, يُبْعَثُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ أُمَّةً وَحْدَهُ Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, he will be raised on Yawm al-Qiyamah as an ummah by himself. Other ummahs will be raised with their prophets. They will be, they will be raised with their leaders. يَوْمَ نَدْعُوا كُلَّ أُنَاسٍ بِإِمَامِهِمْ Every, every people will be raised with their, with their imam. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to raise us with our imam, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, he will be raised as an ummah in and of himself. So this was the journey of these three, these three friends, Waraqah ibn Nawfal, Zayd ibn Amr ibn Nufayl, and Uthman ibn al-Harith. Anyways, back to the story. Khadija radiallahu anha, she knew that her cousin was a knowledgeable person who had knowledge of the previous scriptures. So she told her husband, Muhammad sallallahu after she consoled him and comforted him that nothing bad is going to happen to you, don't worry. She said, let us go to my cousin Waraka. He is knowledgeable about these things. We can get some information and some guidance from him. So she took Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to Waraka. And then she told her husband, she told Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, tell him what happened. And then Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam narrated to him what happened to him in the cave of Al-Hira and what happened to him on the way back to Mecca. And then Waraka, after hearing this, Waraka was a man who had knowledge of Christianity. And the Christian scriptures mentioned the coming of the Prophet Muhammad And they mentioned the signs of his coming. So he knew that this is the Prophet. This is him. So when the Prophet Muhammad explained to him what happened, Waraka said, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. He did takbir. And he said to him, لَقَدْ جَاءَكَ النَّامُوسُ الْأَكْبَرُ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُوسَى The leader of the angels has come to you. The same leader of the angels who came to Musa And that is talking about Jibreel and then he said to him, I wish I was young. This, by this time, Waraka ibn Nawfal, he was a very old man. And he said to Muhammad wasallam, I wish I was young. Because if I was young, and I lived to see the day that your people expel you from your land, I would help you with a very strong help. And then the Prophet wasallam was surprised to hear this. He said, Awa mukhrijiyahum. My people are going to expel me from my land? They're going to kick me out of Mecca? And then Waraka said to him, There has never been anyone who came with the likes of what you are coming with that has not been expelled out of his land by his people. So it's definitely going to happen to you as well. And the Prophet was, was surprised at this. He said, Awa They're going to kick me out? Because... His people knew him and they, they respected him. He was known as a Sadiq Al-Ameen, the truthful one, the trustworthy one. The people honored him, respected him. He had a very high position, high status in the eyes of the people. So that's why he was surprised that Waraka is saying that he's going to be eventually expelled from his land. 
So he asked him in amazement, Awa Mukhrijiyahum, are they going to expel me from my land? And Warqa answered him that yes, everyone who has come before you with the message, they have always been expelled from their land. So this is going to happen to you as well. So this was the beginning of the revelation. And Waraqa, he died just a few months after this incident happened. But the Prophet ﷺ said later on, رَأَيْتُ Waraqa ibn Nawfal fil Jannah I saw Waraqa ibn Nawfal in Jannah. Because he did believe in him. When Khadija anha brought him to him, and he explained what happened, he knew that this is the messenger, and he had the intention that if I live, I'm going to help you, I'm going to support you, I'm going to be with you. But he died just a few months after that, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that his heart was pure and his intention was good. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with Jannah. And that's why the Prophet said, Ra'aytu waraqa ibn Nawfal fil Jannah. After that, the revelation stopped for some time, for a few months, for maybe four to six months. And inshallah, next week we will talk about the period that the revelation stopped and the starting again of the revelation. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.